Um, the boys and I, Molly and I have three kids. Uh, our two boys are the older, 14 and 11. And uh, we were watching a Netflix program uh, over Christmas break. And it was like in the nature section, you know, you feel a little more like justifiable binging on like nature programs. It's not like a total waste of your TV time. And, uh, you know, this was a particular program. It was like in, the, like in the spirit of those Planet Earth films, if you've seen those. And uh, they were following these scientists that were studying the giant panda bears in China, which is one of our all-time favorites, I'm sure, around the room. And they were devoting their energy to see if they could encourage mating in captivity. And this was something that they were devoting, and I quote, millions and millions of dollars to see if, in fact, they could help the giant pandas mate successfully. So, lo and behold, they're able to do that, and they're wowed. They're like, we did it! So anticlimactic. This is what they're supposed to do. At any rate, they figure out how to you know, provide a little help and support for the pandas to mate. And in, and in fact, to give birth to what I understand are the first giant baby pandas to ever be born in captivity, right? That's what they are. Baby giants, whatever. Baby giant pandas in captivity. And the scientist says, for 25 years, I just never thought this was possible. And he's astounded, you know? And now their next challenge is to figure out how to help the baby giant pandas one day get released into the wild. And now this, they're like, we just don't think it's possible. There's just, it's one thing to help the pandas mate, much less help them learn what they need to learn to be released into the wild. And they make this grandiose, like, climactic statement. They say... And then we realized the best way was to attach the baby giant panda to its mother. Not, not, not like the most obvious thing to do, but the most like non-obvious intelligent scientific conclusion that history has ever made. The only way for a baby panda to learn how to be a panda is from another panda. <laughs> a, a man can't help a baby panda become a panda. It had to learn from its mother to show the panda how to be a panda. It's unbelievable. We're talking about discipleship, following the way of Jesus together. The way disciples are made is through people who are disciples. The way you learn to follow Jesus is from others who have learned how to follow Jesus. This is the most grandiose, intelligent, incredible statement that's ever been uttered about man in the way that we learn. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is one who learns and follows from someone else. A discipler is the mama giant panda that helps you 
in this case with the pandas, learn how to find the right food to eat and learn how to find a water source and learn how to avert predators and how to escape danger and how to climb trees. All of the skills that the baby panda needed to ultimately, and they did, release it into the wild to the chagrin and shock of all of the scientists. It really worked. It really worked. Discipleship really works. I don't know how you got introduced to discipleship. Some of you perhaps had good introductions to discipleship. Some of you perhaps not so good. I, my earliest like, memories of the word, I was not that impressed. Like, disciple. It just didn't sh- strike me as like something I wanted to pursue. I was drawn to and enamored by big words like revival and transformation and city reaching and nation changing and healing and evangelism. And I just thought disciple was like the aside, like discipleship. It just sounds boring. What are we, what are we talking about? And in fact, um, when I was coming back to Kansas City, um, I was here a year, left, Molly and I got married, and then we were coming back to Kansas City, and Adam was trying to convince me to come back to the school, and his main sell was, I'm getting discipled. And I'm like, so what? That doesn't sound awesome. Like, what's so impacting about that? How you get introduced to something really does affect you, and it sets a bit of a course a foundation for you. And for some, I want to invite you into a fresh vision of discipleship to uh, flush, respectively, what you've learned if it's not filling your heart and your imagination with the ability to change the world. Because that's Jesus. That's his hope. That's his intent for discipleship. So, I was, of course, getting discipled because a disciple is a learner. We're all learning from the word go. So my parents are discipling me. They're not necessarily using that term, but they're discipling me as a a young one. And from others, you know, youth pastors and just coaches and all that, I'm being discipled. But then I get introduced to it by a guy named Floyd McClung, who's the first one to use the word with me. Can I disciple you? That was a big deal. I didn't know it because, again, I wasn't impressed by it at the time, but it caught me. It, like, stopped me in my tracks, and I was like, man, I need this. So Floyd began to spend time with me, opening the scriptures, challenging me, encouraging me, processing with me, and after some weeks, he says, well, I'm spending time with you. I'm investing in you. Who are you investing in? And I, I, I just I didn't say anything. I was like, well, I'm really nobody, I guess. And I was 22, 23 at the time, and I didn't, like, feel qualified. I was like, well, this makes sense. You're like a legit leader. You're like Jesus. I can't do what you do. And so he didn't press it at the time, but a week later came back again. He says, I'm investing in you. Who are you investing in? And I took the first challenge seriously, and so I began to pray. And Justin Prestige came to mind, who some of you know. He was my neighbor at the time. I'm a year or two older than him. And as I pray, Lord, who can I invest in? Justin comes to mind. So I kind of awkwardly go to Justin I don't think they're here today. Presages aren't here today. And I go, Justin, can I disciple you? (laughs) I I don't know for sure if I said it that way. I probably said something to the effect that I say now. Justin, I see in you an amazing man who's got a heart after God. I feel God's passion for you. I sense the significance of your calling. It'd be an honor to invest in you and spend time with you. Would you allow me to invest in your life in a discipleship capacity? 
Now, Justin has shared publicly numerous times, and every time with tears in the most honoring way towards me, that that was a huge moment in his life. It was a huge moment in my life when somebody, Floyd, said, can I invest in you? Can I disciple you? Because at a base level, hearing someone say, I choose you, I want to be with you, sends a loud message about your value. And this is the core element of discipleship. You identify another. It's probably why the disciples dropped their nets, sight unseen, and went following Jesus. Because they were identified. They were chosen. They were valued. They were brought in. Now, along the way, other people began to disciple me, Floyd being the first. And I began to disciple others some that were successful, some that weren't, at least in my own estimation, measuring it by the short-term, like, you know, metrics I have. Um, but I was so thankful. A guy named Glenn Barron, I don't know if Glenn, Glenn and Karen are here, but Glenn took me on and discipled me as a husband. I had watched Glenn for a few years. I watched the way he interacted with his daughter. I watched him dance with his daughter in the church gathering. Somebody remember watching Glenn dance with Caitlin? Man, it, it impacted me. I watched it, and then I would talk to him a little bit. As a student, he was the administrator of our college, and I heard the way he talked about his wife and talked about their marriage. And when Molly and I were in about year two or three of our marriage, we just hit a few bumps, and I wasn't sure what to do, and Glenn came to mind. And I called Glenn, and I said, Glenn, will you spend time with me? I see something about who you are as a father and a husband that I don't have, and I need it. Will you help me? And Glenn and I spent every Saturday morning for about five, six months, and Glenn began to challenge me and encourage me, open the scriptures with me, pray with me about aspects of who I was as a man and as a husband and as a soon-to-be father that I needed. He started with addressing my view of marriage. At that time, we were just planting the boiler room or a few years in, and ministry stuff was popping. I was giving some leadership to 24-7, Prayer USA, all sorts of cool ministry stuff was happening. And Glenn just said, I don't care about any of that. I care about you and a husband. And I care about you standing before God one day, looking at your wife and your children and celebrating the best fruit that you've ever had. He's like, do you believe that? Is that your view? Is she more important to you than all this cool ministry stuff that's happening? It was essential, man. And I was like, man, I, 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 yes, but maybe not. I don't, I don't know. And then, Jan, then Glenn began to give me little assignments. He's like, you're not telling your wife she's beautiful nearly enough. This week, you need to tell her she's beautiful in several different ways all throughout the week. You need to point out her hair. You need to point out her clothes. You need to tell her that you love her smile. I'd be like, okay, okay, I'll do it. And sure enough, I would do it that week. And it was a little awkward at first because I was like, you know, forcing a new pattern. But I did it. And I'd come back the next week. He'd be like, did you do it? I was like, I did it. She, she lit up like a light bulb. It was awesome. I said, Glenn, I got, a, I got a date with Molly this week. Okay, here's what you do. Before you go anywhere, get in the car, look her in the eye, and say, how can I make this date special for you? I really want this to be an awesome date, Molly. How can I help make it special? I was like, all right, man. I'm going to do it. I'm like awkwardly in the bathroom, looking in the mirror, reading off the note card. How do I... Is we want this to be a special date. I want to get the words. This is a little awkward, but man, I said it, and again, she lit up like a light bulb. Probably made out for 20 minutes right there in the car. It was awesome. It's great. 
I'd come back, he'd be like, did you do, did you do what I asked you to do? I said, I did it, man, it was awesome. Molly will tell you that over those six months, I changed as a husband, like for real changed. Glenn and Karen know it. We've talked to one another about it. I changed. You know what was also amazing is for Glenn, he regards it as one of the highlights of his life. You know, in part why is because I was willing to do what he asked me to do. Like, I was teachable. I wanted to be a better husband. I, I saw something in him that I needed, that I wanted, that I valued, and I said, give it to me, man. Help me do this. And so it was fun for Glenn, and it was fun for me because we came in both wanting and needing something. Glenn was in a stage where he needs to pass on what God has given to him. It's the joy of being a discipler. And it's a joyful thing. If, Glenn and Clint, if they were here, you would see Glenn probably in tears because it was such a significant thing. He got to deposit in me and every guy that I've gotten to have a, a little bit of an influence, an intentional influence in their life, I treasure. It's an eternal investment. I was getting my hair cut yesterday at Chop Tops. It's the establishment that I choose and prefer to get the sweet cuts. And I'm walking out of Chop Tops and I see this dude walking down the street. He yells, Dave, hey. I have no idea who he is. I kind of, hey, man. I get in the car, and I realize it was a guy that I had discipled for about two or three months 15 years ago. I, and I, I totally forgot. And I, I, like, pieced together his face, and I was like, man, oh, he married the gal that he was dating at the time. I was coaching him in that. And, and they clearly had adopted two kids. And I was like, man. I got to be a part of that. Look at him. He, he's married to the same gal 15 years later. That's awesome. He's adopted two kids. I got to play a part in that. This is the beauty of discipleship, huh? It's the beauty of getting to pass it on to others and receive from others what we need. It's the way God set it up. So Floyd then took it a step further with me and not only introduced me in personal relationship to me, but into a vision of discipleship that is as big as Jesus and as big as changing the earth. Um, he introduced me to this, uh, this book called The Master Plan of Evangelism. Robert Coleman was the author, and he makes this comment. He says, what does it say about Jesus' plan to change the world if he spent more time with 12 than the rest of the world combined? I like to imagine a moment when, like, all of heaven knows that Jesus is going to come to the earth, that it's time, thousands of years of history anticipating and waiting for when Jesus, God in the flesh, would come and enter our story, be a part. And I like to imagine, like, this private family room meeting with, like, the key angels and the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And when it's all done, they come out, and, like, one of the lower-ranking angels sees his buddy who was in the meeting and he knows that the plan is being hatched of what's going to happen when Jesus advents into humanity. And they come out, and the lower-ranking angel is like, so, what's the plan? And the other angel, he's like, oh, it's the best plan ever. I can't believe this is going to happen. Well, what's the plan? What's going to happen? Oh, I can't wait. You cannot believe what the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have orchestrated. It is going to change everything. What's the plan? Is he going to... 
Is he going to overthrow the government? I bet he's going to become the high priest and the ruler. And when everybody sees how he leads the people of God and how he rules government, it'll change everything. That's the plan, right? I've been thinking about this. No, it's not the plan. So what's he going to do? Get this. He's going to do nothing for 30 years. <laughs> he, he's going to be born to a family and he's going to learn a trade. Huh? <sighs> he's going to become a carpenter. He, he's going to be an older brother. He's going to enjoy being a human. <sighs> what? That's the plan? Well, well, then, then for three years, he's going to spend 80% of his time with 12 guys. It's the best idea ever. What? That, that's, that's the plan? That's the master plan? How audacious of a plan is this? 33 years to change the world, three years when the light bulbs go on and he announces who he really is, and of course Jesus does a lot more than just spend 80% of his time with the 12, though he does, and that's the focal point here this morning, but he changes everything about everything, right? He introduces how to really live, a whole new way of knowing God. The temple veil gets torn in two. We can access him, Jew and Gentile alike, we are saved because he laid down his life for us. We are filled with the Holy Spirit because he resurrected from the dead, ascended into heaven, is at the right hand of the Father. All of history and all of humanity changed because of one man who lived a life that we couldn't live, who died the death we should have died and was raised from the dead. It changed everything for sure, for always and forever. But his way was really actually spending 80% of his time with 12 guys who at the end are only going to be 11, and then he's going to disappear and entrust to them the salvation of the world. This is a radical plan. This word discipleship couldn't be any more potent, couldn't be any more provoking, couldn't be any more powerful than it is, than it is in how it's been modeled to us, hey? I don't know if uh, you have one of your life goals to be to disciple a few people. I don't know if you have that as one of your goals. I talk to a lot of people. That's not often one of the goals that I hear. I hear goals like I want to write books. That's awesome. I want to start podcasts. That's great. I want to start orphanages all over the world. That's great. Good idea. Yeah. But man, can we add to that list and perhaps even at the the top of the list to follow the way of Jesus and to disciple some people. You know the beauty of discipleship is all of us can do it. It's not a gift-based activity. We have a lot of gifts that have been given to the church. We look around the room. We see people we know. Like, man, oh, Sean's a great teacher. He has a gift of teaching. I can't teach. It's a gift that's given to him. We have prophetic gifts and evangelistic gifts and gifts of hospitality and administration. All these beautiful gifts and distinctions that are given to the church, for the church, for the building up, because we don't want everybody to be alike. Those are gifts. Discipleship, everybody gets to do. Everybody gets to do it. It is a great commission, my friends. 
it is an astounding commission that all of us get to participate in. It is eternally joyful and rewarding to give your life to a few. To be a, a, a mama giant panda bear, really. Like, it is incredible. It is audacious. So the Great Commission, which I would encourage you to say it that way. It is a great commission. Yep. Says, this is Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I was considering this week why authority is relevant in the context of discipleship. All authority has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples. I thought, well, that makes it like authority makes a lot of sense to me if we're talking about spiritual warfare or like healing, casting out demons. Again, cool big words like that that I was early drawn to. Like authority makes sense in that context to me, but why is authority relevant in the context of discipleship? And it took me down a path of influence. Like at a minimum, right, a disciple is one who follows. To disciple somebody else is to influence them in the way of Jesus in all of life. And I think Jesus is aware, friends, how easily influenced we are as humans. I think he knows that we are likely to follow not necessarily awesome people. Like, huge parts of our history, right, record masses of people following idiots. Some of them spirit-filled people following idiots. Like, not good. Whole cults, whole wacky stuff. Thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that are following influencers, leaders, or ideologies and other things, right? So when Jesus come out at the outset and says, all authority is mind, he's announcing that actually he has the power to win the influence war, which is still being waged. You're sitting in a chair right now being influenced, at least to a certain extent, by my words. You're living in a city called Kansas City where you are being discipled when you are out and about, when you listen to the radio, when you watch the news, when you walk, when you talk, when you are with people, you are being influenced. If you are doing any one of those things, more than reading the Bible, you are in um, a vulnerable place to be unhealthily influenced by the culture. If you're listening to talk radio more than reading the Bible, can I warn you on that? That's, 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 that's like, a, that should make, should make you susceptible to become a weirdo. Or to just, again, follow something other than Jesus as the ultimate authority. Like, I love the news. I think we should read the news. I don't want us to be ignorant people that, that aren't aware of what's happening and furthermore concerned about what's happening in our city, the nation, the nations of the earth. But man, this authority thing matters. It actually matters a lot to discipleship. All authority has been given to me. He's entrusting, again, the salvation of the planet to 11 guys, and he tells them at the outset you can do this because my power in you will win the influence war. People will follow, just like you followed me. You can make disciples. You can do this. 
And actually, I'm going to give you the authority, just like I did when I commissioned the 72, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to demonstrate my authority, my ability, my power to influence people so that they want to follow me as well. Yeah? Go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus is referring to all those who don't yet know him. What do we have? Maybe a few hundred people at this point that follow Jesus. When he's looking at the 11 and saying, go into all the world, all that's ahead of them are only people who don't know Jesus. I've given a bunch of stories about Christians discipling Christians, and that's awesome. Like, we have a dream that everybody in Nava is being discipled and discipling somebody else. Like, discipleship is at the forefront of what we dream about, of what we imagine, of what we see, and what we long for in this body. For real. It's not an aside. You can't dream any bigger than the people of God being discipled and discipling others. It is the audacious plan to change the world, is life on life, is people helping other people follow Jesus in all of their life, in every aspect, every dimension of their life. And it's why we have, again, people that have different distinctions and different gifts and abilities and expertise to help us grow in areas like Glenn helped me. So grateful. So we're talking about, in large part, people who don't yet know Jesus. Like, man, how do we get to disciple them? How do we get to show them who Jesus is over time? Discipleship takes time. This is three years later that he's been with them. So when we think that, we we can't just think a one-off moment. We're thinking about, over time, helping people grow into who Jesus is, what Jesus is like, following him, obeying him, which is why he goes on and says, here's how you're going to do this. Here's how you get to disciple people. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is not a one-time dunking moment, man. This is not, you get dunked, you get announced, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that's it. Jesus is talking about an immersion experience. He's talking about an identity. Immerse them in who the Father is and who the Holy Spirit is and who I am as the Son. We call it a Trinitarian identity, and over the next three weeks, we're going to be unpacking each one of these. Adam's going to teach. It's going to be, it's going to be awesome. I love when Adam speaks to identity out of the Trinity. You can, you can imagine, like, the, the 11 leave this little, not little, this great commissioning moment. I'm like, what the heck does that mean to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And, and maybe, like, Thomas pops in, and he's like, well, we know what the Father's like. He said if we've seen him, we've seen the Father. We can, we can immerse people into who the Father is. We know the Father. Jesus taught us that he's the Father that runs off the porch when, we, when we've wasted everything and squandered our life. He's that Father. He's the just judge. He's the one who, who loves to forgive. He's the love that pours out affection and announces his pleasure over us like he did over Jesus. That's who the Father is. We can do this. Yeah, we can do this. And they're like, well, well, what about the Holy Spirit? Oh, man, we know the Spirit. Jesus said it was better that he go. We can't figure that out right now. But he said it was better he goes because then the Holy Spirit can come and the Holy Spirit would be inside of us. Um, that's, that's awesome. We get to figure that out and we get to help others figure out what that looks like, the Holy Spirit living inside of them and comforting them and advocating for them and filling them with power. He's... The Holy Spirit would bring us into all truth and would remind us of everything Jesus told us. We can do that. We can baptize people in the Holy Spirit. We love the Holy Spirit. All right, we're getting somewhere now. 
the son. Oh, he's our best friend. We can baptize them into Jesus. We love Jesus more than anything. He's our friend. He's the servant of all. He's the one who two weeks ago took off his robe and brought out a towel and washed our feet, calling us to serve one another as the highest expression. We can do that. We know Jesus. What relief was coming to their minds? This is a great commission. This is a lofty commission and ambition. Go into all the world, every country, every corner, every people group. How are we going to do that? Well, we're starting to get somewhere. We can baptize them. We can immerse them into who the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are. And you can too. I was with a, a, a couple that's doing a, a missional community, and uh, I was challenging them to make disciples. And the wife said, I can't make disciples. I don't know the Bible. Like, what if they ask me a question and I don't know it? And I said, does the Bible know the Bible? She said, what do you mean? I was like, I don't know the whole Bible, but the Bible is really good at revealing the Bible. You can open the Bible with people when you don't know. And what if you taught them through just opening the scriptures with them? And I got to speak to her and say, you're going to be a phenomenal discipler. You can do this. We're going to get to the end where he's with us to do all of this, which is the best news, which is like the thing all of us need to do this well, right? But you're going to be a great discipler. You can do this. If it wasn't ambitious enough to say, immerse them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, he says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Are you sweating? That's huge. Again, Jesus, you know, leaves, disappears, and the 11 are there bewildered, like, how are we going to do that? Well, I mean, we've been with him three years. We know that at least, we know the greatest commandment. We got that. Love God. With all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, love our neighbor as ourself. Whew, okay, we're, we're, we're in good, we're a good start. We can do this, right? We can do this. Because pretty much all the other commands fall underneath those two commands. To live your life with that view, to give yourself fully and completely in love for him, adoring him, obeying him. That's beautiful. To love your neighbor as yourself, which we fail at most days, and that's okay, because we come back and we repent and we say, oh, Jesus, you, I need you to be with me to help me to live out these commands. Because his commands aren't burdensome, are they? We've said for years around here that obedience and commandments are almost viewed as like swear words. Especially to millennials with no disrespect. I just missed. I was born in 79. I'm like the non-millennial millennial. Or the millennial non-millennial. I digress. Uh, millennial. Thank you, Dave. We're at a point where we're not super keen to obey. It catches us the wrong way. And you get reactions like, well, that's not grace. <laughs> obey? That's not grace. Yes, it is. You cooperate with the grace of God in obedience. To obey is the very best decision you could ever make. Because the one who commands you has the best for you. He wants the best for you. He is the best for you. Commandments are beautiful. Obedience is the most wonderful thing you could ever say yes to. The one, most wonderful decision you could ever make in your life is to say, I will obey you. 
I will follow you. I will, I will like stick my nose in the scriptures again and again and again to discover what you really have for me, not what the cultural culture says I should do and how I should live, much less the Western Christian culture, which is discipling all of us in some scary ways as well. Like all of us got to go back to the scriptures and let the iron sharpen iron, the sword to cut off all the schmeg and stuff that's latched onto us and fim, you know, filled our view of what it means to follow him. Can we allow the one who has all the authority to exercise that authority in our life? Some of you aren't even liking that when I say that. Authority? Get out of here. Because you've had bad experiences with authority. That's all right. Stay here. Stay here a while. Help us. Let us help you come into a healthier view of authority. Both Jesus and people who he gives authority to. Hello, this moment, huh? Man, the great commission, the master's plan to change everything required you and I to know him, to follow him, and to look out and see others who don't know him or don't know how to follow him and to come into their life and help them learn how to follow Jesus in all of their life. It is a great commission. It is a great ambition of your life, a great goal to please put at your New Year's resolution at the top of the list. 2019, I want to make a few disciples. Man, I want to start hearing that around every hallway here. Like, that, that would just make my day. That would make my life. <laughs> it's like it is the core of the church. It is the core calling of the church, Big C, capital C Church to make disciples, and it is what we've said yes to, what we want to do by the grace of God. I want to wait on Jesus individually for a couple minutes here. When Jesus gave the parable about the wise man who built his house on the rock, he said, whoever hears my words and puts them into practice, he's the one who builds his house on the rock. He's the wise one. I told you about being with Glenn Barron and him asking me to do certain things, Floyd challenging me to do certain things and putting them into practice. Your growth often comes in large part, quite honestly, if not all the time, when you put into practice what Jesus has asked you to do. So I want us to just wait individually on the Lord for a minute and ask, Jesus, what are you highlighting to me? What are you saying to me? And pick up a big word, commanding me to obey, to put into practice. Can we ask him that? What are you saying to me to put into practice? Listen and then respond to him a bit. Begin to see what it looks like for you this week and the coming weeks to put that into practice. I want to ask you to do something risky but beneficial. Would you turn to somebody next to you and tell them what you felt like Jesus highlighted for you to put into practice? In doing so, you're just welcoming the joyful accountability of your own voice as well as of saying it to somebody else, huh? So uh, just take a minute or two and do that, would you?
All right, I want us to wait on Jesus for one more thing. I want us just to take a couple of minutes and ask Jesus, is there somebody you're highlighting for me to disciple? Is there somebody that you're highlighting for me to disciple? If there's not a person that comes to mind, also ask, is there someone that you want me to ask to disciple me? Jesus, is there anyone that you're highlighting to me to disciple? May encourage lots of creative thinking here. Don't just gravitate to who seems the most accessible or the easiest. Like, be bold. Jesus picked odd dudes, tax collectors and fishermen. He did so out of prayer. He took a whole night. We're going to take three minutes. So, allow that drastic difference to just mess with us a little bit so that we pray later as well if you don't get anybody now. But Holy Spirit, would you show each one of us somebody that's on your heart that we could get to disciple? Would you also speak to anybody in the room who's needing intentional discipleship right now if there's somebody there to ask to disciple them? Let's wait on that for a few minutes. All right, let's stand together. I bless each one of you who have heard someone, someone came to mind to take that seriously, to take that into more prayer with Jesus. Uh, Over the coming couple of months, we're going to unpack the word disciple. We're going to unpack what it means to be a disciple who makes disciples. I think it's going to be one of the best a series we ever engage together. It is, again, at the forefront of who we are. We long for a culture of discipleship around here. People being disciple and discipling others, yeah? I want to remind each one of you that Jesus is with you. <laughs> if they heard nothing else at the end of that great commission, they heard their best friend, who's the one they loved most, the one they adore most, the one they most want to be like, say, I am with you always. I am with you to help you live the life that I can live through you. It is, we remind ourselves of this daily because we need daily reminder that he is with us and that it's his power and ability through us to even live into this. You can't do it in your own strength. You won't be very good at it. (laughs) You need him. You need Jesus with you in you, to help you to love other people, to disciple other people. So as we hold hands and pray the Lord's Prayer together, we remember the one that we pray to is the one who is most for us, who lives in us. He has all the authority. He has all the power. He has all the ability to live through us. That's really good news today. That's really good news today. Grateful for you, friends. You're amazing disciplers. You may not know it yet. You're amazing disciplers. <laughs> Caitlin the Ewing. Oh, the gift of encouragement. She just can't help herself. I love it. But we need to remind one another of this because, again, you know, all the forces of hell don't want us to disciple. They want us to be distracted by a whole lot of other stuff than the master's plan. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit's plan to change the whole world. You and I, weak people, weird people, 
changing other people's lives with his help. Oh, the best idea ever, huh? Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name.